0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Security Token Show, episode 14. We had a little week off there, but we're happy to be back. My name is Kyle Sondland. And I'm Herwig Konings. And we're here with the theme of this week's episode, the Crypto Ratings Council. Episode 14, Kyle.
1: We're excited to hit everybody with the latest news, the new STOs, the latest market update. And talk a little bit more about what the Crypto Ratings Council is, who put it together, what they're doing with their framework, and how it might have to play a role in our industry. But first, as always, let's jump into the news. Let's get into it. I want to give an update, Kyle, starting off with one of our more exciting topics from a couple episodes ago on tokenizing sports finance, which was led by Spencer Dinwiddie's New attempt to tokenize his Nets contract for about $34.4 million. It was very exciting. It was a new use case of how sports finance could be used specifically for tokenization on a very niche asset class. And unfortunately, the NBA has come out and immediately slammed it down. Ugh. No pun intended there. They, they blocked it. Unfortunately, it seems that even though Spencer was under the impression and had given the allure that the NBA was on board... It turns out that he had signed a collective bargaining agreement with the NBA as part of his contract, and the NBA is claiming that this tokenization and this investment offering is breaking and breaching that agreement. So as a result, Dinwiddie has been reaching back out to the NBA. A report, Kyle, three days ago, came out and did say that, that they had met once again with the NBA, and it seems that Dinwiddie is intending to move forward. It's super interesting God bless
0: it's very, very interesting. I, I actually talked to some of my some some people that I, I know some friends in the industry, and from what I understand, they actually were expecting the exact issue that the NBA was having with the contract, and apparently from from Dinwiddie 's perspective, this is more of a misunderstanding rather than actually a violation of the potential deal because from what I understand, the NBA is essentially saying that you're not allowed to provide a third party with the rights to your contract, right? So he can't sell his contract, but theoretically, if he just earns the cash and then gives that cash to someone, that's, that's irrelevant of his contract. If he's generating an income stream and decides to pay that out to someone else, he can do that exactly, without having to go through the NBA to do it, it's just more so collateralized by his NBA contract. And since the NBA contract is guaranteed, it's a fully guaranteed, fully collateralized debt offering. So from their perspective, the NBA actually doesn't have any real jurisdiction over whether he can or can't do it. We'll see if that flies. Yeah. Obviously, I'm sure that they'll have to have an arbitrator or someone decide whether you know that's skirting around the rules. But as you said, they are looking forward to, to moving forward with this and they're going to continue to work with the NBA.
1: It does seem like a proper workaround. I would have confidence with that logic. Of course, the NBA always has the ability to, to fine or punish or however they can go about this. But hopefully, they keep an open mind as this is certainly an innovative form, again, in sports finance here. Moving on, we have a very interesting, almost juicy lawsuit coming out here against a very famous company on this show, Overstock.com. Can't stay out of their own way. No way. Well, the company itself, the previous CEO, Dr. Patrick Byrne, and the CFO as well are all three being named in the lawsuit for violating the Securities Act of 1934 by essentially deceiving investors regarding the use of Their security token dividend that we have been talking about that came out as a result of if you owned a a certain number of uh, common shares on the public market, you would actually receive this tokenized dividend through T0. And this actually put a squeeze on the the short sellers that weren't able to actually come up with the, the respective tokenized dividend. And this actually, in the lawsuit, claims that Dr. Byrne, at the same time of taking advantage of this, selling over $109 worth of overstock shares that he owned, while at the same time, the company itself also sold shares directly to the market in order to help with its cash flow issues that are coming from its investments in, of course, its blockchain division. So the lawsuits claim that, that Dr. Patrick Byrne is leading, kind of misleading investors on on what the blockchain initiative means and how it actually promising uh, in terms of ROI ROI could be, and as a result, actually ended up abusing the market. And you top it off with his sort of deep state comments and the kind of personal issues that have been going on in in the public. It certainly kind of paints a bad picture about what's going on here.
0: I'm gonna be honest, Herwig. You know, these are my opinions only, but this is a damn shame. I. Regardless of whether there was ill intent here or not, it definitely casts a bad mark on security tokens in terms of them leveraging this for the short squeeze. I mean, the short squeeze happened, and it's clear. Burn especially has been very outspoken about how he dislikes short sellers and felt that they were out to get him, which does fall in line with his odd deep state comments and, and the conspiracy stuff. It's, just, it's frustrating that we had a great opportunity here to provide investors with a security token of a public company and, and start to blend these, these assets and really provide at least another level of, of legitimacy in the sense of providing a new liquid token, a, a real asset of a public company. I mean, this was an awesome opportunity to provide legitimacy for security tokens and for T0. and. It looks like this is all just kind of a hoax. And certainly at the very least, even if they do end up issuing this this digital security of the overstock preferred equity, it's going to be viewed with a very skeptical eye from investors because of this whole hocus pocus. And so it's very frustrating for me, I'm gonna be honest.
1: I agree with you, Kyle. I find it a little hard to believe that this, you know, that would make Dr. Patrick Byrne a genius for putting this whole con together, if you will, because we all know that they were one of the first companies to adopt uh, uh, essentially accepting Bitcoin through over, overstock.com. Then they publicly announced, I think it was 2014 or 2015, their intentions of leveraging blockchain for their securities management. And then eventually the you know investment into Medici and the whole spinoff with T0 and the, the whole portfolio that we actually discussed a couple episodes ago as well. So, you know, he's clearly been working on this vision for a long time. It seems like this would be kind of like a loose pivot of a turn to kind of abuse the market with the the technology that he's developing. So it's surprising, and it certainly doesn't do any favors for the industry, doesn't do any favors for Overstock or T-Zero. Hopefully, you know, there'll be a settlement and nothing more negative comes out of it for the industry, but, you know, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on it. It's certainly going to have a big impact on potential t zero's future cash flows and, and its ability
0: to operate so it certainly is all linked to some degree yeah i'm waiting for wait we're waiting for some development from their side they they could use some some good news hopefully they've got something planned for for early 2020 that they can you know get some positive momentum because it does certainly seem like the company right now is just it's it's bad news after bad news and
1: i do have some good news in the next article to talk about here kyle to change the tune Harbor has finally been approved its broker-dealer status by FINRA. Congratulations to Harbor. This has been something that's been in the works for a long time. And we do know and have covered before that it's very difficult to attain this license, let alone specifically that when you have to do anything with cryptocurrencies or blockchain, the SEC has been, and FINRA specifically, have been extra Uh, critical and scrupulous of those applying so it's been a very difficult task there have been reportedly anywhere between 40 to 100 different applications being slowed down or on hold if you will by FINRA and the fact that Harbor has officially been confirmed and approved is a great sign maybe more will follow as a result I think this is a major move not just for the industry because it is now an issuance platform that is regulated by FINRA and the SEC to also provide fundraising services, but also for Harbor itself, because this is sort of the, the goal that many in the industry have sought after, and as they also claim to become the one-stop shop of Uh, digital securities and it's true you do kind of need that ability to go out and fundraise on your behalf if you want to develop a a full marketplace of investors leveraging your technology so it is a very strong advantage now it does come down to how they end up leveraging it they could be doing it to build out a network of BD's to help create sort of an institutional sales platform they could be doing it for custody reasons they could be doing it for exchange reasons who knows it will come down to ultimately how they leverage it in the end but it certainly is a major accomplishment and for that reason
0: kyle i'm going to give harbor my company of the week great work from harbor you're totally right in all of your points this is not an easy process folks to to be approved for the broker dealer it can take a ton of time a ton of diligence a lot of expense and legal fees and uh but as you said it's it's you know a sign of the maturing industry and and a great news all around because the more the more opportunities that that all of our companies in the space have to be able to provide value and add value in a certified or regulated way is only only good news for, for the U.S. markets.
1: And a maturation of the industry too, right, Kyle? If we, we see a couple weeks ago Securitize make the move to become a transfer agent. You now see Harbor becoming a broker-dealer. You're seeing all these kinds of different approaches to, to the market, and it's going to be interesting to see – which plays a better role and which becomes something that other companies also want to take advantage of.
0: And hopefully this allows us to, to start to bridge the industry with some of the more traditional finance companies and, and players in this space. And the reality is that, you know, security tokens are great, but we're going to need to work with the, the existing legacy financial system in, in as many ways as we can. Because this is, you know, in terms of a huge market, a ton of businesses, a lot of success, and and that's where all the money is. So finding ways to legitimize our industry and be able to show that we can provide real services that are in demand in existing markets is crucial.
1: That's why I think they absolutely deserve winning this week here. Moving on, we have the ISTO Exchange completing a Series A financing. It's undisclosed on the actual size, but we do know the investors. It's an institution. Supposedly, they only needed to talk to one uh, bank to, to get the money that they were looking for. It's a company called... Kiatnakin Fatrat Financial Group, or KKP, out of Thailand. And they will be using it to further expand out the, the marketplace that they're building. It's very exciting. We've covered them a lot. I wish we had a little bit more insight to how much money they were raising. You know, exchange numbers are all over the board in terms of how much people raise. But uh, nevertheless, we'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out on it. And we do know that they are very forward-thinking. They're in a regulatory environment. It's very positive. They, they're in an environmental sandbox. that will allow them to test and experiment with securities. So hopefully we'll see some action out of that when they launch. And they're based out of Singapore, Correct? I believe so. but I, yes, I think, I think they so. are. Yeah. They
0: are out of Singapore uh, from, from what I recall. So another great entry into the, the Asian market which is fantastic. Certainly, we, we cover mostly on this podcast the U.S. and, and European markets. So, to see that, that Asia is also very conscious of security tokens and their benefit and are, are providing capital for these businesses to, to grow and develop is, is a great step in that direction. Indeed. Moving on with some SEC news here, SiaCoin,
1: or the company Nebulous, which launched SiaCoin, has entered into a settlement agreement with the SEC regarding their 2014 and 2015 crowdfunding offerings, which were violations of the Securities Act. They unfortunately did have to fess up over $200,000 in fines, Hmm. but there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And you know, this is a cool company. They were one of the very first, you know, around uh, cryptocurrencies and utility tokens to launch specifically focused on decentralized cloud storage. And actually were one of my very first utility token purchases outside of uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I was a big fan of the company. Furthermore, we even interacted with them. We almost tried to acquire some of their technology last year. And so I had a chance to meet the team, really smart people working on really great technology. Um, and as a result of their settlement with the SEC, they're actually green lighting their SIA coin, their decentralized utility token. So in the world of fear around whether or not your cryptocurrency or utility token is potentially a security token, it's nice for this company to know and probably great for the infrastructure itself that there is no fear of future action by the SEC. So I think that's really great as a result and
0: I'm sure they're going to continue to, to use the momentum to grow and develop an awesome platform. It is kind of unfortunate though, right? Because they were fined more than what they even were able to raise or, or were aiming to raise. Yeah,
1: it's, it's hard to figure so, <laughs> out
0: how the SEC is, you know,
1: awarding their judgments, if you will. You have EOS raising billions of dollars, getting fined only $24 million, and you have poor old Sia here having to pay twice, twice the amount that they even raised. So very, very fascinating. Would love to know more how the SEC is doing this, but of course, uh, you know, we all do. <laughs> Uh, the SEC has been active on, on some more uh, progressive front here. The JOBS Act actually enabled a new testing the waters method for EGCs, or Emerging Growth Companies, which for those of you who don't know, are companies that essentially have a billion dollars in revenue, in annual revenue. And if you qualify like that, you're allowed to test the waters and gauge with institutions and banks about the potential IPO offering and process which, of course, makes it much easier for a private company to determine whether they'd like to go pursue investing into a full-on IPO or if they would like to wait. And what the SEC is actually doing is adjusting the rule to change it and expand it from not just EGCs who are capable of using the Testing the Waters, but any issuer in the United States, which I think is fantastic. It's a great move. They clearly see have seen the, the Testing the Waters work. There's obviously a lot of emphasis around public market exposure and encouraging private companies to go public and kind of try to fix around that. So I think this is certainly going to help do that. And I assume that companies that are tokenized and are in the private markets will help. That will help them when they test the waters with institutions for a potential IPO. So I think this move is really great for, again, issuers across the board, whether you're a billion in revenue or much, much smaller.
0: Yeah, I think that we're seeing a lot of these recently IPO'd companies are, are really struggling when they get to their public markets. And part of that reason is because a lot of these public companies are waiting to go public so much later than than when they, they would have even 10 or 15 years ago. And so... Because of that, it's really causing a strain on the market because most of their value has been created by the time they go public and the public is almost the, the later stage of their life cycle, it seems like, for some of these businesses potentially um, as opposed to, to you know reaching maturity when, when that was the aim before. So it'll be interesting to see now that there's more ability to test the waters and see if it's something that, that's a good opportunity, if private companies will consider it as opposed to staying public, we'll just have to see. Presumably, making it easier will
1: encourage them to do you know go public and IPO sooner. So let's let's see what happens. And SEC has has got caught a lot of pressure recently around public markets and also around cryptocurrency. Recently, from a hearing with the U.S. House Committee, where um, some recent questions around specifically Libra and how the SEC is responding to that, but also how securities and crypto in general are being treated and there was not a lot of actual feedback from the SEC other than that they're engaging with Libra privately, that they're of course very focused on the crypto market and and trying to define it with the the short sum up of it being sort of the classic response of we're working on it and we're aware of it Uh, and there is also pressure around you know how public market forces were were being uh, affected uh, as a result of all this as well. So the SEC is very conscious of it all but still continues to be very silent on actually any kind of defining matters about how they're treating cryptocurrencies or anything like that or even regarding security tokens mentioned in this
0: whatsoever. It seems like they're not the only skeptics either. I read that PayPal has dropped out of the Libra Association as being one of the the backers and that there are some questions around some of the other financial service providers that are also, you know, getting a little bit antsy as the regulators here in the U.S. certainly aren't incredibly receptive to the idea. And it does seem like even Facebook is preparing that maybe they may need to delay the launch of Libra moving forward. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I I don't think that this is anything that they'll be able to stop, whether it's Facebook or someone else. I imagine that these, these services and the Libra kind of idea will be launched by other tech companies. But... It does seem like it's 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 um, the momentum is cooling a little bit uh, for now. I th-
1: I read it as politics is is you know specifically you know the the Senate and Congress are reacting to the Libra announcement sort of as one would expect which is they don't really know what's going on they're starting to get a good grasp of it and now they're starting to to talk to everybody anybody that's related to this right the scc specifically with almost like an expectation in this this hearing to be like hey are are you going to be able to stop libra or like how what are you doing about this and kind of getting a Uh, poll on what's going on, and that is right in line with specifically two U.S. congressmen sending a letter recently to the Fed asking them to develop a national digital currency, again, in response to Libra, and wider in general about the potential of a private company developing a stablecoin currency that could rival the U.S. dollars. And this is even more timely because there have been reports also of China and other governments considering Developing some kind of a stable coin or national digital currency if you will of their own and so the again This is why I I perceive all of this as this is a massive global Movement stable coins are now taking the main stage as a result of Libra And uh, Washington is trying to figure out, how do we want to respond? How are we going to manage this? And now even the Fed is getting dragged into it, which we all know. It's like one of those sacred institutions that that is on its own. So we'll see how they want to respond. I really hope they do publicly respond uh, instead of privately uh, through secure channels, if you will, about how they're going to respond. But um, it's definitely very interesting. And I'm glad to see, again, that there's activity around this. Great productivity. there, There are congressmen who are thinking about this topic and trying to follow up on it. Moving on, we have Morningstar. Everyone knows, Matt, multi-billion dollar rating agency and and financial advisor, Morningstar. It has a great Forbes feature on talking about how they're leveraging blockchain for the future and that they recognize blockchain as a technology that's going to have a major impact on their sector, but also that they're dipping their toes into rating blockchain-based assets, and they've actually partnered with a couple startups, Kyle, uh, across the tokenized debt, the equities, as well as real estate space to figure out where they can add value and and participate. So I, I think this is clearly Morningstar presenting themselves as bullish on the technology, and another one of those institutional moves that I'd love to see major companies from the traditional financial sector, acknowledging blockchain, acknowledging the opportunity, and acknowledging the future, specifically when it comes to digital securities. So I'm always a, a big big proponent of that.
0: Yeah we saw Santander Bank originating loans on the blockchain, settling those in Ethereum. We're seeing Morningstar and and certainly all of the other examples, whether it's Franklin Templeton or many of the other examples of certainly in the the fixed income use case seems to be the the Primary focus at this point, and we totally get that. That's it's a very unclear and still kind of outdated process to, to originate, er, originate and sell fixed income instruments, and and the blockchain really can solve a lot of that. Those questions around collateralization and, and many of the other settlement features of these instruments. So, just another great example. The more really really smart people that we're putting onto this, and and certainly the ones like from Morningstar that have quite large budgets behind them and strong incentives to cut costs and be able to, to make these processes more efficient, it makes you very excited about, about how they're going to, to leverage this technology moving forward.
1: And you're right about institutions, in fact, we're going to take a quick trip across the world here all the way over to Japan. Where actually six major Japanese brokerage firms, Nomura Securities, Rakuten Securities, SBI Securities, Monex, Daiwa Securities, and Kabu.com Securities, all formed together to form a security token offering association out of Tokyo to obviously boost adoption and awareness of STOs as a fundraising model in the country. The association aims to ensure investor protection by bringing regulations in place to prevent illegal activities, including money laundering. It is also planning to get a certification as an authorized financial instruments firm and based on the country's Financial Instruments and Exchange Act in order to fully leverage its capabilities as a self-regulatory organization. So for those of you who are not familiar with an SRO, FINRA itself here in the SEC is also an SRO that designed itself to help you know, facilitate and manage and administrate capital markets here in the U.S. When it comes to Japan, it seems like potentially these firms are trying to position themselves as the new bridge and in infrastructure and guidance for uh, all of these uh, Tokyo-based uh, brokerage firms. And it's exciting to see because this is a very institutional move. This is a sign that they they truly believe the future is digital securities. And it seems like Japan already having some pre-existing laws around uh, security tokens and making it one of the more progressive countries around the world on security tokens. It seems
0: like we're going to start seeing
1: a lot of activity out of Japan very, very soon.
0: Yeah, it's all great news. Very exciting for Asia.
1: And then we do have one big institutional piece of news here back in the U.S. from issuance platform Securitize, announcing a raise of over $14 million from institutions, including a big Japanese-based bank and MUFG Innovation Partners, as well as also raising from Santander as well as Nomura Holdings. So that, that is a major, major accomplishment there once again leading the industry with another large, sizable round. They're one of the few companies actively raising money in the space, which is always a good thing. They ate up a majority of our latest Q3 report, which is out, and you can go check that out on our medium to go see what the latest activity was for Q3. But ultimately, you know, this brings securitize's total funding to over thirty million dollars, and and again, it has made them officially institutionalized and validated by major financial players. So it's exciting to see, and we're you know we're always watching and, and
0: cheering on securitize. Yes, yeah, this is fantastic news. We we certainly saw a ton of initial hype, certainly in the fundraising sector for security tokens, kind of the the bottom tail of the crypto boom back in 2017, 2018, where a lot of, of early infrastructure companies were able to raise a lot of money on the hype of security tokens over the last maybe year or so. Certainly, it's been been a little bit more difficult as the industry is still looking to develop and, and, and grow. And so to see Securitize have real, really no issues in raising another 14 million is, is really fantastic. It's going to kind of inject them with a new jolt of, of capital so that they can continue to move at, at, at fast speeds and help thrust the industry moving forward. And hopefully that this will allow them to continue to work with really top tier clients so we can start to really build high-quality assets that will be traded as security tokens and, and really you know, attract more, more participation around the world. So congratulations to Securitize. This is no easy feat. $14 million is no joke. And certainly the investors that they were able to get on board, including um, the, the major banks and financial services players, is, is a great step in that direction.
1: We're seeing the market continue to mature and grow more institutional, and that's really, really fantastic news. I want to end on a couple interviews that you all can go check out. Once again, everything that I talk about that we discuss on the show, you can find the articles on wherever you're listening to in the description or directly from the source on stomarket.com slash news. The interviews that you might want to go check out are Thomas Carter, the CEO of Dealbox, talking about the issuance platform that they have developed, which is built on Stellar, as well as a, an offering that they're launching with. We of course have Sam Sam Nor Salehi, the CEO of T Zero, who did an interview series on Securities.io, and finally we have an interview on Forbes talking with Digital uh, with with Liquify CEO Adrian Lai, who talks a, a little bit about their STO issuance platform with Forbes. So that's all the news that I have today and over the last couple of weeks. Thanks thanks for letting me share with you, Kyle, but I'm excited to pass it on to you now and hear more about the latest offerings.
0: What a week, man! We uh, I guess two weeks. We we really had some some very interesting news, and and we still have another pretty big piece that we have yet to discuss in our main topic. So that's exciting, um, but we're gonna keep Sto news relatively short and sweet today, so that we can uh, keep our keep our podcast around the similar similar kind of length. But the first piece of news and the biggest thing that I'm excited about this week is that Merge, the Seychelles-based exchange, who was a crypto exchange looking to launch a security token of their own equity to kind of prove that this is possible, that they're able to go through the process. This is certainly something we're seeing many exchanges do to be able to launch their own exchange token to raise the capital to then build out the the securities exchange features that they're going to need and along with the regulations and, and the other things that they're going to need to get approval to launch. And so Merge announced that they were going to, to do a, quote, digital IPO, as they're calling it. Um, and uh, and so they actually launched their, their security token offering last week. And within their first week, were able to actually clear their soft cap. So they raised $500,000 in the first week. They are targeting a total raise of $4 million, but but the soft cap is crucial because that means that they're going to be able to, to move forward with this raise no matter what else their progress is. but. As they mentioned that they they have a, they had a ton of interest from many different countries, many different investors, and uh, and so the fact that they were able to close their soft cap and generate that much interest in the first week is really really great news, and and I'm excited for them. They've been very supportive of, of us and what we're working on, and, and so we're happy that that merge has been successful. Um, so if you're interested, definitely go check it out. There, as I said, the raise total is, is going to be around $4 million. It closes on November 8th. So um, this podcast will go live October 8th. So in one month exactly from the date of this podcast, they, they will be fundraising for their live exchange, which has been live since 2013. And now they're looking to upgrade to the security token side. And so because of the fact that they've been very successful, they've been very transparent and very focused on building the industry from, from their small island. And, and, and it, I'm very excited to say that they are my company of the week. They've done a fantastic job and uh, I hope them all the best moving forward. Congratulations to
1: Merge. It's huge to hit the soft cap. Another successful STO. In this case, one of the first digital IPOs in history and, and now obviously a success. And I hope that they subscribe the full four million in the next month. So
0: we'll definitely keep you updated on the progress there, and uh, definitely go check it out. Moving forward, we also have an update on a Reg A Plus offering that we had mentioned a few episodes ago now. If you remember, Reg A Plus token offerings had never been approved by the SEC. It was something that, Herwig, you and I have, had been critical of before, as we had seen many companies kind of waiting in the wings. And the SEC kind of rapidly approved two Reg A Plus offerings, which we were initially incredibly excited about. And then we realized that they are not quite security tokens. They are are more so utility tokens or cryptos that are raising compliantly. But I figured that it would be important to give an update since we did talk about them and them being approved. Blockstack, which was the first offering to be approved as a token offering through a Reg A Plus deal, which again, Reg A+, means that any investor, all retail investors, can participate in the offering. You do not need to be accredited. And so Blockstack was a utility token or a crypto that was approved. They were the first one. And they actually closed their fundraising round. So they raised $23 million through a compliant ICO, if you will. And so um, when I was searching through the, the EDGAR system of the SEC, which is their, their database for filings. You can see that that Blockstack was able to raise about 15 million through um, their Reg A plus sale in the US, while also being able to raise about seven and a half million from a Reg S offering in Asia. And so, Reg S is obviously the one that allows you to accept international investors. So, they were able to raise about 15 and a half here in the US and seven and a half in Asia. And so, I think this is one of those things where it's interesting to see that there still is demand for utility tokens for ICOs. People are still looking to get involved here. Um, But the the one big question mark still with Blockstack is going to be that there's no information about where these tokens will find liquidity. With Reg A+, there's no token holding period for the investors. So I believe, or at least again, this is not legal advice, but I believe that there's not a lockout period so that once investors receive their issued tokens, they are freely able to exchange them. But because this is a compliant ICO, um, there are a lot of question marks around whether they will be able to list it on a crypto exchange or a security token exchange or potentially something new altogether. We're not sure. So we'll have to see how that process will work uh, moving forward. And again, that will be an interesting update because if security token exchanges then have to list compliant ICOs, it does... Kind of blur those lines a little bit, and it is important, as always, to highlight the fact that when we talk about security tokens, we're talking about underlying asset-backed tokens. So we're talking about something with a real asset behind it, whether that means equity, whether that's future rights to dividends, whether that's investor protection such as governance or other things like that. You do need to have some kind of underlying asset there for it to, to really be considered a security token. So while Blockstack is a compliant ICO, it is not. A security token. So we'll have to see what happens there, Herwig. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's great for the obviously the company and for the crypto industry specifically to show a successful ICO using the existing regulations, specifically Reg A plus to get retail adoption. I have the very same questions. Presumably, yeah, it will find liquidity right away. It 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 does it does question myself whether uh, it will be on a Coinbase like the crypto exchange or if it has gonna have to be on a security token exchange like T Zero. I don't know, or can it just be done peer to peer without any kind of regulation whatsoever? And what happens when they? do additional sales of the token after the fact so lots and lots of questions come up this is not a crypto show so uh, we're definitely not going to spend too much time thinking about it but i think it's a good sign overall that uh, the company did successfully raise the money and that they are, are going to be you know continuing to move forward
0: totally agree and finally, we have one more security token offering. This should sound pretty familiar because it is an Estonian crypto exchange launching a security token. So a similar kind of model to what we've seen from Merge is coming from Estonia, this one, this exchange being RockX. And so RockX put out their announcement on Medium that their STO is, is going live. But unfortunately, I didn't wasn't able to find very much information regarding specific details of the offering. They They don't detail much about the underlying asset, whether it's a equity token, whether it's a revenue or profit sharing token. All that I was able to find in their their documents thus far is that the target return is up to 15% plus 5% fixed interest. So I'm not exactly sure what that means or or how that will be determined in terms of what that target return is based off of. But that's kind of what they're aiming for, I guess, is that 20% return, um, I'm guessing yearly. I was also able to find there was a 100 euro minimum investment with no target raise amount specified. They do have specific periods for their soft and hard caps, so I imagine there is some kind of investor memorandum or something that I just wasn't able to access, but there certainly seems to be uh, some interest there. 100 euro minimum is good. But again, euros, so it it brings into question whether U.S. investors will be able to participate or is this going to be something that only Europeans will be able to invest in. There was one piece of concern, certainly for U.S. investors, in that there are referral fee programs for incentivizing additional investor onboarding. We saw this in the crypto space sometimes. um, and, And so essentially the way that this works is that they want to provide you with a code and if you provide a your friend with a code and they invest, you know, into this security token offering, you get some some commission for for bringing them into the deal. Certainly this doesn't seem like it's legal here in the US unless you have a broker dealer's license. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but um, they may have that they may not but certainly if they do not this this does you know become put their you know legality here in the u.s into question so we'll have to see how how all these details shake out moving forward so definitely do your own research make sure that you're you're eligible to be able to invest in this compliantly um, but if you're interested in supporting another exchange definitely check them out we can't have enough exchanges that are providing liquidity services for security tokens it's a big it's a big thing here and, and certainly is one of the the main factors for why investors might be hesitant to invest in a security token is that the infrastructure for exchange just might not be there. So the more that we can help push these exchanges forward and help provide them with the platform to be able to accept more assets is, is really going to be valuable moving forward.
1: I believe this exchange puts uh, the total list of shy of about 50 uh, total exchanges around the world. I think it's it's massive. It's a huge amount of exchanges that are out there and I'm excited to see them hopefully raise money successfully just like Merge and like you said help build out the infrastructure.
0: Yeah, definitely check out our article on the list of exchanges if you're interested. We break it down by jurisdiction so uh, continent and country so if you're interested in seeing what exchanges are planning or are going live in your specific place of residence or in any place of residence certainly go check out that article um, on the security token group medium publications. So you can certainly go check that out if you're interested. Um, and so now we go into a market update. Unfortunately, the market has been a bit slow. As we've discussed over the last maybe eight or nine episodes, T0 is really the the security token that dominates the market cap. And so the, the market really depends on T0. So as T0 does well, the market seems to be doing well. And when T0 does not, the, the market also seems to contract. So Unfortunately, because of a lot of the the news recently around T zero and certainly around the the dividend that everyone was hoping to be exchanged on T zero uh, from Overstock being postponed, T 0s token price has been down. It's it's hit it's hit one seventy four a dollar down from the two fifty range that it was around two weeks ago, um, and down from ten dollars, which is what their initial offering was sold at. So. I think that some of the drama, the stagnation, and, and the uncertainty inside of, of Overstock and T0 are, are really starting to take a bit of a toll on the price, which continues to raise the question marks around whether startups really benefit from having live exchange equity in the, the public space. I mean, sometimes you can question whether this just adds a little bit more drama to an already complicated issue. And if it's if it's maybe in the best interest of some of these really early stage startups to just kind of keep their equity off the public markets? It's a very interesting question, maybe something that we can discuss in another episode. Um, But T0, they're still working out some of their problems. As we mentioned, the T0 token price really depends on which assets they're able to list on their exchange. And so if they're unable to list additional assets, the value of the, the exchange equity is expected to see a drop, so this is not anything that I think is very surprising for anyone. But at the same time, you you can't be very happy with a with a ten percent you know haircut in in just a matter of a week. Um, so wrapping it up, we've got the t- total security token market cap is sitting around one hundred and fifteen million. We see almost no movement from Open Finance and T zero, as we already discussed, is is not doing that great right now. So. The 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 market is definitely down, but I think that this is something that's pretty easily resolved if T zero can just work on listing some assets. We know that SOM came out, and the CEO rather of T zero, he mentioned that their main priority was going to be listing additional assets on their exchange. We've mentioned that they're working with with some additional projects, and so if they can get a few live tokens issued and onto the platform, I think that we'll see a a. Great boost here because there will be additional assets to exchange. The volume at T0 is still still at that fifteen to twenty thousand dollar a day mark. It's not zero. And so if they can get additional assets onto the exchange and really show that that they're able to do that and are able to scale, I think that we'll be able to see that price come up. We're just really waiting on them to actually do that, you know, six, eight, ten months later. Moving forward, we have some upcoming events. We have the Crypto Invest Summit in L.A. That's October 14th and 15th. Herwig and I are both moderating panels. We are moderating separate panels on the security token track at the Crypto Invest Summit. So if you're interested in in meeting us or getting out there, definitely reach out. We have 10 free tickets, actually, to the Crypto Invest Summit. So, if you're interested, um, the first 10 people that sign up using the ST10 discount code actually will get a free ticket to the event. So, if you're interested in coming out and, and meeting a bunch of big names in the industry, participating in, in the, the discussions, and maybe you know sitting down for our panels, definitely use that discount code ST10 and uh, you can get a free ticket. So, that's fantastic we also have the World Blockchain STO Summit. We've mentioned this multiple times here on the podcast in Dubai on October 21st. Herreg and I will not be there, unfortunately. But if you're in that region and you'd like to go check it out, Dubai certainly has been very interested. And the UAE in general has been interested in, in participating in the security token space and staying up to date on a lot of these recent technological innovations. So if you're interested in participating, I've been to a, a blockchain event in Dubai before. It's a fantastic experience. Definitely go check that out if you can.
1: All right. Well, then I think it's time to move into our main topic of this episode around Crypto Ratings Council. For those of you who don't know, the Crypto Ratings Council is an organization put together by actually a, a host of different major players in the crypto space. Uh, many names I'm sure you'll find familiar. Coinbase, Kraken, Bitrex, Poloniex, which is owned by Circle. There's also digital currencies group, uh, groups, Gen- Genesis and Grayscale. Also the Blockchain Association, as well as Cumberland Mining. All major, major companies who have formed together, a lot of them mostly led by the initiatives of the, the chief legal councils of the various organizations to essentially develop a framework and rating system that they can share amongst each other that evaluates the potential of a cryptocurrency to be labeled as a security based on the triggers of the Howey test. So to give our listeners here a little bit of a framework, the Howey test is really sort of four different uh, parts that can the, the SEC will use to determine whether or not they find that Whatever it is that you're issuing is a security or not. In this case, it's the first uh, pillar here is whether there's an investment of money. Essentially, the CRC is treating this as did they raise money before or after they did a utility token sale Obviously, if you raise money before you do a token sale, you are essentially investing in something. So if you are able to have a utility token developed before you raise capital, that certainly increases your chances of not being labeled as a security. The next pillar is whether there is a a common enterprise. Uh, essentially is the is there a company behind it that is trying to make money off of it, in which case there likely is going to be a trigger for it being a security or does it have the framework of Bitcoin where the development is decentralized or there's a decentralized system behind it or a nonprofit organization that is managing this in in the efforts to helping develop an infrastructure or an ecosystem, not necessarily for the benefit or or gain in value of the, the interest. The third pillar is the expectation of profits. This is an easy one. In this case, the CRC is looking for marketing language that's similar to a securities offering, marketing language that talks about how you might gain a potential ROI or a sense of profits from making and participating in the investment. So anything that essentially would look like uh, triggering it like an investment opportunity as opposed to participating in a project or utility token or a cryptocurrency. And then finally, of that expectation of profits, there's a focus on whether it's solely from the efforts of others or not. In this case, what the CRC is looking for in the the token is what's the functionality, what's the usage, is it decentralized, does the utility actually have real true value If you can burn it, you can actually manipulate the market. And so therefore, there's more controls by this common enterprise. So it looks less uh, like a a utility token and a lot more like a cryptocurrency. But essentially, these four pillars are what the Howey test sort of sums up as what something could be as a security. And again, the Crypto Ratings Council has come together to essentially award a rating scale that they have come up with, according to this framework that they can use to to determine whether or not they want to list certain assets. Kyle, I know uh, that we had some community members chime in and and share some information about this topic because it is a a very interesting one. Uh, So I'd love to pass it off to you and and hear your thoughts, and maybe you can share what everyone else is thinking.
0: Yeah, so first let's just give a a quick little rundown of what the CRC's product that they've put out is. And essentially what they did is they, they created a list of 20 tokens and gave a rating from one to five over whether they were or le- were more or less likely to be a security, five being the most likely to be a security and one being the least likely to be a security. So they gave each one of these tokens a rating from one to five and then gave between three and four, or I guess two to four bullet points detailing their logic that were very sparse. So it was just a quick little bullet with with one line of, of saying it did this or it did that and then no real information additional information for any of these offerings so it's very a very very short simple kind of MVP style product is what they've put out so far um, which has left some of our community members scratching their heads a little bit um, and here's why so as we as we had here the full list of of tokens that they were considering was actually never disclosed they didn't say they didn't give a list of all of the tokens they just they did 20 and, and we certainly know that there are many more cryptos than 20 and, and certainly even listed on many of these exchanges. There are many tokens that were not included on this list, which seems odd that if you're a partner in this crypto ratings council and many of the assets on your exchange were not listed here, that that seems odd to me. Um, and certainly many of our community members feel the same way. Um, and additionally, it, it kind of makes people believe that that. The tokens at the top of the list are securities when in reality anything less than five should inc- indicate that it's not a security. And this brings up a- another question that, that some of our community members have had over whether, you know, what's the difference between rating something a four out of five or a two and a half out of five or, or a three or a one? Wait, one maybe means totally not a security, but none of these assets in the 20 have actually been deemed not a security by the SEC. Um, I don't believe, so unless they do have Bitcoin on here, so I guess Bitcoin is not a security, um, which I was recently announced by the SEC, but it's just odd that they would they would be taking this, this um, stance, and, and many of our, 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 our community members feel that way. Um,
1: Ar- arbitrary is the word that comes to mind.
0: It, it seems like there isn't a very
1: strong reference point to what the criteria means and, and what, it, you know, first of all, not... Announcing the fives makes it incredibly difficult to figure out what's a security or not. The fact that each one of the cryptocurrencies has an individual sort of description line to it also makes it very difficult to figure out, okay, well, if they had decentralized developers, but they had marketing language and a sale before they had a utility token what what does that score ultimately mean up it, it doesn't there's no weight weight weighting to each and individual one of the points of the four pillars that I mentioned so it, it is definitely very confusing to say the least
0: right it's, it's odd because you'd think that if any of the four pillars are violated that that is kind of a you're out if you violate any of any of the how we test rules then that's not, certainly not a good thing to, to argue that you're not a security so Having you know, three positives and one negative might still be a total strikeout in the SDC's eyes. We're not sure. Um, and Her, you actually jumped the gun a little bit in the sense of we have an article here that was submitted from Brian Brooks, who's the CLO of Coinbase, who said that they will not disclose which assets are given a five. So they, they have publicly announced that they're not going to be saying which assets are securities. And so if this council is meant to be together so that everyone has a common definition of what they can and can't list and how they're going to protect each other and set guidelines, you'd think that having the ones that are the securities, definitely, would be the main ones that they would want to send to all of their community members as the main guideline of like, hey guys, stay away from these ones because they really don't look very good. The fact that those aren't being published, just it seems like much of the value of this is diminished. Um, in my opinion, and certainly from from some of our members as well. Yeah, I mean, what's the threshold? You have
1: a company like
0: Polymath that was
1: rated uh, actually a four and a half, the highest score possible, and that almost seems worse than getting a five because with a five we have no idea what, what was the difference between a four and a half and a five. What, right. how, what, what is the one thing that Polymath has – that that hasn't made it into the threshold of a five. The same for for Maker, which they basically said, you know, basically seems a lot like a security, but it, it didn't quite meet the five threshold. So why did these two kind of get singled out compared to the list that wasn't released? And what does a four and a half mean versus a three point seven five? I want to I want to bring up the example Kyle of EOS, uh, which recently by the SEC also. Settled and they paid a fine and they have now been cleared as a as a token, but here according to the C R C they're rated at three point seven five. So one might presume that that's pretty close, more close to the security side. So. Again, it's hard to to read into this. It's definitely very confusing. It seems like a very strange move. I'm not really sure what they're trying to accomplish with this other than potentially legal benefits for CYA when they do run into issues with the SEC for listing specific assets. They at least potentially could say, hey, we've developed a system to try and figure out how to go about listing uh, tokens and we've looked into making sure that they aren't necessarily securities, but they can at least say that they tried because the SEC hasn't themselves put out any kind of guidance per se to to follow. So that has to be at least what I assume is the reason that they launched this. Uh, but again, the, the suspicious 20, the lack of reference and framework to this whole thing certainly doesn't make it very professional, doesn't make it very institutional, doesn't make it even almost fair in a sense because we, we don't know what judgment really was used to come up with these scores and what these scores even mean.
0: It, it seems like they were almost caught between two minds where they, they could have kept this list Private and maybe just shared it between each other and said, Hey, look, these are the ones that we really want to be suspicious of in terms of what we're listing and what we're promoting because it may cause liability in the future. Um, and then part of them wanted to be public about this and, and be leaders in the, the regulatory space, but it seems like they must have gotten shot down legally or something like that because the, the really lame bullet points that have almost no detail. And, and don't go into any description of, of what they might mean in, in, in you know, context. It just, it just seems very odd. It doesn't seem like this is going to be useful for anyone. It seems like almost just an image play that they're just, hey, look, we're trying to do this, and, and I, I don't yet see the value. That, that being said, we'll have to see what happens. I, I, um, I'm hopeful that maybe this is kind of an MVP style of thing and they're looking to roll this out slowly, but again, you'd think that large institutions like a Coinbase you know, wouldn't put out a, a half-baked product. Um, but on top of that, you know, I think the EOS example is a good one because EOS's rating still hasn't been changed. I mean, there certainly is a big bullet point that they could add now settled with the SEC that you'd expect would change that rating. That was a week ago. So we haven't seen the rating change. We haven't seen any information change. So how frequently is this going to be updated? How frequently are they going to be, going to be on top of that? Uh, we're just not sure yet.
1: I think the legal component is something that you're very right about in the sense that if they release the fives, are they opening themselves up to liability from these companies, suing them for exposing them as securities, if you will, or is it that they're they're not trying to do the SEC's job per se? It, it certainly is very interesting because they also rated one uh, token that is really much so in the spotlight right now regarding the fact of whether it's a security or not, and that's Ripple or XRP, which in this case is CRC rated a four. Again, four being very, very high in in this scale. And a couple episodes ago, we talked about how Ripple is being sued for being a security. And in fact, that the case around Ripple could actually have a very industry-defining impact on what happens with it. And so this is further ammo that can now be used. In fact, the Ripple lawsuit, uh, in counter to it, Ripple actually responded and said, in the, in the UK, the FCA, the SEC equivalent there, they actually have already clarified and created a framework for the different tokens. And they, they classify them between exchange, security, and utility tokens. And in this case... Ripple is actually labeled as an exchange token, not a security token. So they're actually claiming this as evidence as to, again, why they're not necessarily a security. Of course, that really has no official impact on what its status is here in the US. And with high-profile cases like EOS uh, going down with the SEC, I imagine that Ripple or XRP is certainly on their radar and being looked at. And so I wonder if this is going to have any impact on that. Uh, Probably not. I'm sure the SEC is not even looking at this whatsoever, but maybe they are. And it'll be interesting to see if this fast-forwards
0: or accelerates anything. Uh, very, very interesting, to say the least. So unfortunately, we're running out of time, but there, there is a great opportunity maybe for another episode to discuss what might happen if some of these tokens are deemed securities and if they pay the proper fines or if they, they do what one might consider a rescission or reissue their tokens as securities, how that might affect our market and our security token industry. And, and if these tokens you know, become security tokens, how that might be applied into our industry and what that might look like. Because something tells me that, that some of these may, may be deemed securities and uh, and the proper process will need to take place. So it's something very interesting to think about.
1: I think it's a great idea, Kyle. We'll definitely keep it on the list. And with that, I guess we'll say thank you for listening once again to another week.
0: And hopefully we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.